Side Hustle Show 279. This is SEO for bloggers round two. How to get more free traffic from Google. What's up, what's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because sometimes the answer is just to be better. And when it comes to getting people to your website who ultimately might become your customers in your business, there's a pretty straightforward solution. Be the best. That's what Google wants to show its users, the best answers, the best resources, the best content in the world. It's not necessarily easy. And of course, best is always subjective, but there are some specific things you can do to make Google love you and to get you some of that glorious free traffic. And that's what we're diving into today with one of the most creative people I know who also just happens to be an SEO expert, that's search engine optimization. I'm excited to welcome Matt Giovanisi back to the program. We last heard from Matt on episode 7. 73 back in 2014, where he shared how he grew and monetized his pool care site, swimuniversity.com. Since then, he's added several new brands to his portfolio, including uh, roastycoffee.com, which is about coffee, brewcabin.com, which is about home brewing, and moneylab.co, where he shares what he's working on, uh, often in the form of these sprint projects with super tight deadlines. A ton of fun to follow along there, moneylab.co. And it was actually one of those projects, a, a new SEO course that inspired this episode. So I took Matt's course, uh, moneylab.co slash SEO, if you want to go check it out. I thought it was awesome. So I invited him back on to share uh, with Side Hustle Nation how he goes about his keyword and competitive research, how he decides what content to write, how to structure it, and ultimately how he ranks and monetizes pages without link building. It's really about saving time, doing a little bit of legwork up front so you know that your content creation efforts aren't going to be wasted. And I think that's something that we can all get on board with. Notes and links for this one are at sidehustlenation.com slash G. While you're there, you'll also be able to download the free PDF highlight reel summary with all of Matt's top tips from this call. And I don't mean this as a warning, but this is definitely some more advanced stuff. A 200 level conversation assumes, assuming you kind of already have an understanding of basic site structure, general SEO strategy, and, and a monetization plan in place. I think you're going to love it though. Matt's got me excited about doubling my Google traffic this year. With invoicing, time tracking, estimates and proposals, expense management, one-click tax summaries, and their famous rockstar support, it's no wonder why 97% of small business owners recommend FreshBooks. FreshBooks.com is the number one affordable accounting solution built specifically for side hustlers and freelancers. I want to thank FreshBooks for sponsoring today's show and for helping 10 million entrepreneurs, myself included, get paid. As a Side Hustle Show listener, they're hooking you up with a 30-day completely free trial at freshbooks.com slash side hustle. Now's the time to get your books in order. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle to start your 30-day free trial today. I'll be back with my top takeaways from this call with Matt after the interview. Ready? Let's do it. The keyword research that I do is called competitive research. So basically, instead of you trying to go into any so I specifically, I use Ahrefs, which is spelled A-H-R-E-F-S.com. It's very similar to SEMrush and Moz.com. These are two other SEO pieces of software that are pricey. They're about $100 a month. But if you're really serious about SEO, which I definitely am, it's how I get traffic to all of my websites. I think it's, I think it's worth the $99, not just for the research part of it, but for also tracking to make sure that the work that you're doing is resulting in traffic. So there's other ways to do this sort of thing. But what I do is called competitive research where I'm starting in a new industry. So homebrewing is a new industry for me. And I am a homebrewer and I've been doing it for over 10 years. I'm just finally getting started in the content side of things. Okay. And I go and I look at what are the top homebrewing sites that are already out there. So one of the ones that I found was, it's actually a company that's located like three blocks away from my house, oddly enough, and they're called the American Homebrewers Association. And they have probably the number one homebrewing site on the internet. And it's really easy to do that. I find that by Googling, so you Google the very basic term of like how to homebrew, or if you're in coffee, how to brew coffee, or if you're in pools, how to take care of a swimming pool. You Google these very generic niche keywords and you find out who's the top dog, right? You find out who the big guys are. Okay. And then what you do is you can, and you can do this through free trials of all the softwares that I mentioned. You could do this through Google if you want to kind of hack it together yourself and you find out what keywords they're ranking for and they're doing well in already. 
And the reason I do that is because instead of you going and trying to figure out what keyword you should rank for, kind of like just pulling ideas out of thin air, you can just build on top of people who have already maybe have done that themselves and have seen success in certain keywords. And now you know, okay, well, wow, there's a lot of people searching for the term yeast starter. And I'm like, okay, well, I know what that is as a home brewer. I would have never thought to make that my very first article on my website. But according to the research that I'm doing, I'm like, that actually is a pretty popular keyword that is very easy to rank for. Okay. And so we basically go through, and we're not just talking about one competitor. I go through maybe 10, 15, 20 competitors and just see the keywords that they're all ranking for and go, okay, so here is my list of the top, let's say 20, 25 keywords that are low difficulty, meaning that not a lot of people are going after them yet, but they get a lot of search traffic. And I usually tend to only go after keywords that get at least a thousand search queries a month. And I'm talking about search queries in a very small niche. Obviously, homebrewing is very small, coffee, much bigger. So I probably wouldn't do anything under 5,000 for that particular website. Okay. Is there a metric you look for like for difficulty? So all of these like Ahrefs will spit out like a difficulty metric. Moz will spit out a difficulty metric. Is there a target that you like to look for? No. And the reason I don't do that is because, well, one, I'm in those three niches that I talked about are pretty, there's not a lot of competition. So even in the coffee world, you'd be surprised that the term French press may have a high difficulty rating, but it's not that high. It's pretty reasonable. And I'm not afraid of the difficulty. I think that is actually more motivating to me than anything. And you can really find the correlation. Basically, if it's a high difficulty, it means a lot of people are searching for it. And there's a lot of competition out there. So all that says to me is I have to go through it and be better than everybody else. So that is a challenge that I give myself, which is if something has, when we're talking about a scale of one out of a hundred, so let's say we have a difficulty rating of 80%, which would be incredibly high. I would just say, you know what? That's worth going after because there's a lot of people searching for that. There's a lot of competition and it just kind of gives me the challenge to be better than everybody else. And that's going to set my site apart from even the biggest players and I'm going to disrupt the field. So no, as far as keyword difficulty, I do look at it for sure, but I don't make my decisions based on it. I make my decisions based on, is this going to get me traffic even if I, you know, even if I rank on the second page of Google, like, is it still going to get me traffic? Okay. Because if it will, then it's worth going after because for me, let's just take the French press article as an example or the French press keyword. And I don't know, I'm not staring at the actual stats of this, but let's say it gets 50,000 searches a month, right? And this is all relative. It probably gets way more than that. But according to the software, it says you have a traffic potential of getting 50,000 people hitting your website every single month if you rank number one for that term. Okay. And the keyword difficulty might be 80%. So it's like, wow, yeah, okay. It's going to be really hard to get there because there's a lot of people writing about this topic. But if you do rank, then you're going to get a lot of traffic from that one keyword. And I put these in order. So obviously that example would be at the bottom of my priority list because there's definitely other there's definitely other keywords out there that have low difficulty and semi high traffic potential numbers so those are the ones i would go after first but because i'm a coffee site i'm definitely going to have to tackle the french press article at some point because that is a very standard way to make coffee which i've already done so i look at that and i say okay well what's going to happen if i really go after that keyword right if i really try my hardest well what happens is you strive for these big keywords. And that's kind of my whole idea of keyword research, which is a lot of people say, find the long tail keywords, find how to make a French press coffee in 2018 or something like that. Some really long, obscure thing. And it's like, oh, that gets a decent amount of search. Doesn't get as much as the word French press. Yeah. But I tend to say, well, why are you going to strive for the middle? Why are you going to go to college to be a manager? That doesn't make any sense to me. Right. So I say, and that's probably a terrible example. I didn't go to college at all. So let's say I want to go after French press. Because I'm striving for such a large keyword, it means I have to make the best thing out on the internet about that. And in that process, I am going to naturally rank for smaller long tail keywords that are going to get me traffic that maybe I'm not going to rank number one for the term French press in Google, but I'll rank for the best French press coffee maker or some other type of thing because I made an article that covers the topic so well and is so, for lack of a better phrase, epic, 
Yeah. That I just end up winning that game in the long tail side of things without actually striving for the long tail, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Now, going back to the competitive research, have you ever gone into or have you been researching a niche and done this? I found 10 to 20 competitive sites and been like, I'm overwhelmed by this. There's already too many people talking about this. What else could I add to this? Like, I'm never going to outrank these guys. I'm out. I'm going back to the drawing board. Yeah. I have a lot of people who I am familiar with that sentiment, right? Of that idea that I don't want to add more noise to the internet. I don't want to go after this is going to be overwhelming and things like that. For me, I kind of ignore it. <laughs> if you, I kind of block that out because had I done any research, any competitive research before I built my coffee website, there was a possibility that I would have felt, I guess, inadequate, you know, because everyone does. And I sort of just block it out and say, you know what, screw it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And I guess to answer your question, I try not to because I feel like, well, then if you feel that way, you're not supposed to do this thing. If you're talking yourself out of doing something, then maybe you should go work at a normal job. Maybe you should just go work for Burger King or something. That's probably terrible to say, but... <laughs> I think it takes a certain type of person to blow through that and say, you know what? Yeah, there is a lot of competition out there. I'm going to be better than them. And you have to go in with that mindset. I'm going to be better. And again, I don't like the idea of, oh, I'm going to build a site where I'm going to rank for the, I'm trying to, I'm trying to not to think of a dirty example because my brain wants to go to a very dirty niche example, but I'm, I'm trying to keep it clean for the show here. <laughs> so <laughs> appreciate it. Yeah. So this idea of striving just to build a good enough site that will rank for a few smaller long tail keywords just to get a little bit of affiliate income as passive income. I don't ride that train. Why even do that? Why put that out there? I think go big or go home. And that's kind of my whole philosophy with SEO is if you, in the process of going big, you end up ranking for a bunch of small things and you get a lot more traffic than say, you can get millions of visitors to your website a month rather than a few thousand and try to make money that way. Okay. Hey, entrepreneurs, we know that anyone with a side hustle loves finding new ways to save. So if your business takes you on the road, sign up for a free membership with Hertz Business Rewards. Work trips, client meetings, industry conferences, with Hertz Business Rewards, you'll save at least 20% every time you rent a car. And you'll save on more than just the daily rate. Members earn credits redeemable towards free rental days. It's also free to add an additional driver if any additional coworkers come along. And for those Gen Z entrepreneurs out there, no young renter fees. Plus, sign up for Hertz Business Rewards today and earn three times credits during your first 90 days. So whether you're traveling for a side hustle or a main hustle, join for free at Hertz.com slash business rewards. Applies to base rate, taxes, fees, and options excluded. Additional terms and exclusions apply. Visit Hertz.com slash business rewards to learn more. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, so I'm going through, like I'm Googling like kind of like my main keywords, home brewing. I guess you could even start like just coffee, like that broad of a term, seeing what other sites are out there, kind of filling your Google sheet, filling your spreadsheet with, okay, what other sites are out there, running them through these keyword research tools, even running them through like a free service, like even Alexa or, sure. or a similar web to see what are they ranking for to kind of fill those seed keywords. Yeah. This is what I'm going to have to write about if I want to siphon off some of their traffic. This is how the internet 
gets better over time is people like you coming in and saying like, look, I don't care if there's competition. I'm going to build something better. Right. And that's in broad strokes. Like that's kind of fun to think about. Do you give any weight to like the free resources like Google AdWords Keyword Planner or even like the Moz Bar Chrome plugin? In the Google Keyword Planner, it'll show keyword difficulty or it'll it'll show competitiveness, like low, medium, high. Mm -hmm. And the Moz Bar will show domain authority and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. As you're doing the keyword research, does that factor in or you're just like, whatever, F it, I'm going to build something better than these guys. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. Because here's what you'll find out. And I've done this so many times in different niches where I'll research a keyword that is very competitive, right? It's very difficult. And then I'll just literally type that keyword into Google and I'll use an incognito window so that I'm not using my IP address or my location to skew the results. And I'll just click on all top 10 results, not the ads, just the top 10 natural results and open them up in different tabs and just look at every one of them. Every time I've done that, I've laughed out loud by how terrible most of those things are. And you may do the same. You may look at the first thing and go, okay, that's pretty good. And if you're saying pretty good, it's not amazing. It's not epic. It's not great. It's you're saying, oh, it's pretty good. That means there's an opportunity to do better. And I, for, I would say 99.9999% of keywords that you do that to, you're going to have those results where you say, that's pretty good. Especially with coffee, like you Google French press, you'll see a bunch of French press posts in the top 10. They're good. Can somebody come in and dominate? Heck yeah. Somebody like me could come in and write the end all be all guide to French press, where the the history of it, why it makes better coffee than an AeroPress and a Chemex and a drip coffee maker, the science behind why the mouthfeel is better in a French press than it is in any other coffee maker because of the idea that you have, you steep longer and you have all of these things. When you look and do that research, sometimes you just go like, oh, If I spent a month writing the best article of all time or the best post of all time or creating a video or whatever, and you really put your effort behind that, you will win. You win the internet. And the reason you win is because, and one of the things that I mentioned in in my SEO course is Google's smart. Google's really smart. They have machine learning. We don't have that, right? My computer doesn't do machine learning, but (laughs) Google, their whole business model Besides the self-driving cars, like their actual business model where they make a majority of their money is serving up really good, relevant content to people who are searching for stuff. That's their business model. So it behooves Google to be very good at finding those things without you having to do a bunch of like link building or anything because that is their business model. That's what they're trying to do. So if you come in, you look at all 10 results and you go, I'm going to make something better than this. Chances are you're going to rank because Google wants that to rank because it is better and their business model just keeps getting better and better. And again, they're smart. So that's what they want. Yeah. Google is an answer engine. And this was probably the I'm taking your course. I'm laughing out loud as you're going through those top 10 results and you're just like, oh, this is amateur. You know, okay, this is pretty good. I'm going to make a note of that. This one sucks. And you're going through, but yeah, it's it's an answer. And and this was encouraging, like for a brand new site, oh, I've got zero domain authority. I've got no inbound links. But if I create the most awesome epic resource for this topic, Google's going to discover that. And over time, theoretically, it should creep up. And you've seen this for the homebrewing site. Yeah. And I'm surprised by how fast I'm seeing it now because I've done this for 10 plus years. And back in when I was doing some university, like it took forever for me to rank for a keyword. And again, the same thing, a brand new site, not really a competitive industry, although I guess a little bit more competitive than say homebrewing is because more people have pools than are homebrewers. But you look at, this has literally happened to me in the last few months where I did the competitive research. I find this keyword and and we'll use the keyword brew kettle, which is I found out this one site was ranking high for the term brew kettle and it was getting a lot of searches. The keyword difficulty was rather low. And I'm like, I'm going to go after that one first because that one for so many reasons. One, it's a good term. It has potential for affiliate marketing because you're selling brew kettles. You have potential for sponsorship opportunities because of the brew kettles keyword. There's so many benefits to hitting that keyword first. And so we went after that. The article that we published, I think, was a little over 3,500 words. We sat down, my writer and I, and even if it wasn't just my writer, if it was just me, this is exactly what I would do. I would go Google the term brew kettle in an incognito window, pull up all 10, top 10 results, maybe 20, the first 20 results, and 
just look through headlines to find out what do people want to know and what are these other companies talking about. Another way to do that is going through comments. If you find a post that's ranking high for the term brew kettle and you scroll down and they have a comment section, you see that there's people asking specific questions and you want to address those in your post. So you do this massive outline where you just make sure you cover everything and then you keep distilling that outline down into something that is just like, if anyone reads this, it's like they just bought a book and they just got it for free. So I make this massive outline and then we just start filling in the gaps. We start filling in that content and then it gets pretty big, beefy. You know, it, it, I think it started out as 6,000 words and we ended up trimming it down, cutting out a lot of the fluff because that's not going to help you for SEO and trimming it down to 3,500 to 4,000 words, adding images. If we had some video in there, once we get into video, we can always add that later, which is the beauty of the internet versus a book where you can just always add later and you can always improve on the things that are maybe are not doing so well. But we published that and within a month, we were ranked number one for the term best brew kettles. So not we were were not number one for the term we were trying to go after. But as I look into Ahrefs and track that keyword, we keep going up, we keep climbing the ranking because we are getting traffic. People are staying on our site, reading our article. They are sharing it. And my backlink profile at the time was zero. I had zero backlinks. And yet here I am ranking number one for this term that gets 2,500 searches a month. And now I took a site from zero traffic in its first month to 2,500 visitors, unique visitors a month for just one post, really. Interesting. So you're not seeing the Google sandbox where, okay, I'm not, you're not even going to get indexed for six months. Yeah. So that I looked at before I did my course because I'm like, well, I haven't, that was definitely a thing back in my day. The sandbox was, was certainly something. And I'm like, you know what? I haven't experienced that in a long time. And it turns out it's not a thing anymore. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. So what it is, it's de-indexing, right? So you can be de-indexed, meaning, and this is that term indexing is, when Google actually adds your website to their list of search results and then serves you up, you can be de-indexed, but because Google is, again, they're smart and their business model is serving up relevant terms, they're so much faster than they used to be at re-indexing your site for the right stuff. And I noticed that I've had Brew Cabin for only a few months. We're instantly ranking for stuff. There's no sandbox mode. There's no trial period. Again, not to say that those things never existed because I definitely felt that effect back when I had some university, even as far back as maybe five or six years ago, where I would publish a piece of content and then I wouldn't rank for almost maybe 12 months later at the most. And I'm like, okay, well, obviously I know that this sort of stuff is an investment, but I'm not seeing that anymore. Even at Sumi University, which again, we have domain authority, we have a good backlink profile now because we've been in existence for so long. And when I talk about backlink profile, meaning how many links are coming back to my website, I didn't build any of those. So those are all natural. I've never been a backlink builder because I rather spend my time creating the best thing on the internet because ultimately 10 years from now, 20 years from now, that's all Google's going to want. They don't want you going out and soliciting for votes or soliciting for backlinks to your website, your content should stand for itself. And Google's going to get smart where that's not, I mean, this is a theory of mine, not set in stone, but it's continuing to look that way as SEO progresses, which is, again, Google's smart. They don't need you to go out and get votes for your website. They know what's good and what's bad. Well, that's encouraging because it's so much more fun to create, (laughs) create the resource, create the content, do the writing, do the videos. It's a million times more fun than cold email to give you a link. A hundred percent. Well, back on the SEO front. So I'm kind of doing this competitive research. I'm filling the potential keywords that I want to target. I'm prioritizing those that have at least a thousand searches a month, have a difficulty that if I'm starting out, I'm probably not going for the 80 keyword difficulty. I'm you know, going 20, 30, 40, whatever. And I'm using those to kind of fill the keyword hopper. Like, okay, these are the potential pillar articles that I'm going to need to have on my site. And then I'm going through the top 10 or 20 results. And the cool thing is these are the results that Google has already voted for. They've already put them at the top of their rankings. And so you know that that content is at least good enough to show up. And so you're using that to build your outline, looking at the headlines, looking at the subheaders, looking at the comments and trying to build this massive outline, almost like they've already done the work for you in a sense. And it's your job to kind of just create and mold it in a way that that makes sense. And that's better than anything else that's out there. What comes next on the content 
creation section or I don't know, like headlines or I don't know. What do you do? What do you do next? Well, now we're kind of getting into the on-page SEO world, right? Of We know the keyword we want to rank for. We've done our research. We maybe built an outline. Let's say we've written 6,000 words, 5,000 words, whatever. I mean, I get a lot of people ask me like, how many words? Yeah. <laughs> it's how many words that are necessary to cover the topic in depth. For me, 3,500 was how I covered brew kettles. For French press, it may be 5,000. For email marketing, it may be 10,000. It depends on how big the topic is itself. If it's yeast washing, it's maybe a thousand, maybe it's 1500. Yeah. Are you writing all this stuff yourself, by the way? Or you got a, a team in place or a handful of writers in place to help build this stuff out? Yeah. So to give myself some credibility, I used to be the one that wrote all of it for the first like seven or eight years. Yeah, for sure. But no, now I have a team. I have an editor in chief. So I have a one person who is in charge of all three of my websites. And she has a team of three writers who sort of get those things done. So it's a team now. Okay. So if you do the homework, it just like, you know, to, I don't know, like just ballpark numbers. Like what would a 3,500 article that's the end all be all piece on brew kettles, like what would that cost you to get done if you're going to outsource it? Probably five to $600. Okay. This is one of those things where you get what you pay for, right? And that 500 to $600 is an investment. When you spend that money, you are getting a timeless piece of content posted on your website that will continue to pay off forever, right? Or as long as you keep it updated. And if you pay, you know, a hundred dollars to get something really crappy written, then <laughs> the chances of you ranking are, are going to be smaller, right? And so you do get what you pay for in that sense. You can obviously do it yourself and save all that money, but you better spend your time to get it right. And it is an investment and it does take time too. I'm seeing it very fast with Brew Cabin, but back when I was doing some university, I saw it very slowly. And it's kind of hard to, to part with that money if you don't have a monetization schedule on the other side to sort of justify the cost, right? Well, the cool thing is you have confidence in investing that money because of the research that you've done. Yes. And at least in this case, well, there's some pretty clear affiliate opportunities on that page. Hey, I'm going to get 2,500, 3,000 visitors a month specific to this page. Hey, here's the best brew kettle. You'll click and buy it. That article paid for itself already because I'm making at least... And this is... Look, I don't want to make this very clear. Like I know a lot of people talk crap about doing Amazon affiliates because, oh, what am I going to make, like 10 bucks a month? With that Brew Kettle article, which was published back in October, I've made $150 a month since. From one article. So it's more than paid for itself at this point. Yeah. It's like a annuity. It's like a dividend. It just keeps coming. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's going to keep coming to me. And then once it's done, it's done. And then you may have to update it because there's some timing issues of, oh, there's a new brew kettle that came out in 2019. You may want to go ahead and update that, but that's easy enough. The content is still relevant and good. Any tips for finding writers? Yes. Facebook groups, honestly, not just like freelance groups, but even like your group, there's people who want to write and they're, they're freelancers. They want to get paid to write. And yeah. if you're willing to pay them, the tip that I recommend you do is, and this is what I did for Swim University. Swim University is interesting because Yes, it's about pool care, right? When I thought about it, I was like, who the hell is going to write about pools? Like, who's going to know what's the difference between calcium hypochlorite and sodium dichlor? Like, who's going to know that? And then I, I kind of worked myself up into this. I'm the only person in the, in the world who can write about pool care. Not true. I was proven very wrong very fast. I basically created a title, and I don't remember what the title was specifically, but it was a very technical article about pool care. And I put it out to, I think, three writers. And I said, listen, I will pay you $50 to write this article. I need X amount of words. And I gave them no other direction besides write an article about this topic. And here's the title. I evaluated those three articles. So I paid them less than I would have paid them had they written it because it was a trial period. And so that's how I found my writer. It was I put this article out there. And one article was just significantly better than the other two. And I'm like, you're hired. And now I'm going to pay you $100, $200, $300, or 15 cents a word, 20 cents a word, whatever, whatever you work out with that person, because I know that their writing skills are good and their research skills are even better. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm just, I haven't gone down that. I mean, I've gotten guest posts and stuff like that, but I haven't gone down the path of outsourcing the writing yet, at least for my main site. Yeah. And we've got three very professional writers on our staff. And the writers that we have now came from my editor-in-chief. I hired a very, very good editor-in-chief. And she had relationships with people 
who were writers that she had already trusted and kind of brought them on. So that's how I got this current team was by hiring an editor-in-chief who already had a relationship with people. But before that, it was individual freelancers that I would work with based on that exact strategy that I laid out. And I can't stress enough, finding a good editor-in-chief, if you're the editor-in-chief, you better be good. (laughs) Finding a good editor-in-chief for me was all about finding somebody with the same exact taste as me and not about how good their writing was or their tone or, or anything like that. It was, do they think the same things are funny like me? Do they think, what do they think is the best content on the internet? Do I share that same sentiment as well? And so when I put out my sort of like call to arms, I'm looking for an editor in chief, here's a list of questions. And those questions were, were like, send me three YouTube videos that you think are hysterical or send me what you think is the best piece of content you've ever seen on the internet. And here's an article that's on my current website. Tell me what's wrong with it. And those three examples are important because number one, I want to know if we share the same sense of humor because that's ultimately going to be about tone at the final article. If she writes a joke, I'm going to think that's funny and that it's going to match the voice and the tone that I want for my entire website. For the best piece of content question, it's do you share the same value as me? Do we both think the same thing is quote unquote epic? Because When I tell somebody, oh, write epic content, somebody's idea of epic content is going to be very different than what mine is. And I wanted to make sure that we had that exact same level of what we thought was epic. And then the third question, which is really important, is here's an article on my website. I know it's bad, right? (laughs) But I want you to tell me why it's bad. A lot of people that sent this in to me were very nice. And that was their downfall. They were very like, oh, well, they kind of knew that I had written this, even though I didn't write it. They thought that I did. And so they were like, oh, you know, there's some places I would clean up. Like I would do this and like very general. And the the person that I hired destroyed it. I mean, (laughs) wrote an article in and of itself of why this was so bad. And I agreed with every single one of her points And I was like, you got the job. I mean, that was the no brainer. And that was, it was a weird like psychological test to find out. Yes. Tell me that I'm terrible. Right. (laughs) And it worked. I mean, it was one of the best things I ever did. Very cool. Yeah. Sorry. That tangent. I was just kind of curious, like what that process looked like. No, that's awesome. (laughs) Point out all my, all my shortcomings in this article and stuff like that. Right. Very cool. Cool questions. You'll get a very honest hire for sure. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes. T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. On the on-page stuff, as I'm going through the course, I'm realizing that I have content that's ranking by total accident that doesn't even have like a meta description or like I haven't, I don't even know. It's just weird stuff. So meta description doesn't show up anywhere on your site necessarily, but it's kind of like your two-line sales pitch in the Google results, why should somebody click on this? Yes. I use WordPress and I use a plugin called Yoast SEO. These same principles work no matter what software you use if you're on Squarespace or anything else. But the few key things here, and I'll rank them in order of what I think is important versus least important. So number one is your title. The title that appears when you Google something and that blue actual thing you click is your title. It should be in your title meta tag, so like in the code itself, kind of hidden, but it should also be the H1 tag. So when you write a post, you have your heading one, heading two, heading three, and so on. Heading one, 
you should only have one H1 tag on your website, on your one page, okay? And normally you don't have to stress about that because it's like coded by your theme. Yes. And most of it's coded by your theme. So like don't use it in your, if you're like writing an article, don't use the H1 tag in your article. Okay. Okay. For the most part, most themes, when you have an article title, it is wrapped in an H1 tag, right? And yes, if you use any sort of SEO tool and do an SEO audit on your website, they'll tell you, oh, you have one too many H1 tags on this page. So basically just literally one too many. Any favorite SEO audit tools? I've been using the Hrefs one. It's pretty good. I know that the SEM rush is really good. So I've heard from friends that I trust that the SEM rush search engine audit tool is actually pretty good. Okay. But I've been using the because Hrefs just came out with their tool. And so I've been using that and it's been, it's been good kind of like scans your website and finds all these little tiny code issues that you can quickly fix for a quick SEO boost. And then you should obviously keep on top of that because it's super important. Yeah, your title is the most important. I would say your meta description is the second most important because what that does is if Google does rank you, let's say you're number three, right? You're not number one, you're your third result. That doesn't mean you're not going to get traffic. You're definitely going to get traffic being number three. And you may even get more traffic than being number one. And the reason is because your meta description actually leads people into wanting to read your website. So for example, if you have a really good compelling title, something that works in social media, clickbait, if you want to call it that, that sort of leads you in. It's sort of the idea that magazines, they kind of test all those titles that are on the front of the magazines that makes you want to open the magazine. The title and meta description do the exact same thing on the search results page where You may click the first result because it's the first result and you're naturally inclined to do so, but then you end up reading the article and it's like, well, this sucks. And so you go back to Google (laughs) and you're like, all right, well, now I've already been burned once. Let me start to read through these. And it's like, oh, well, this description is like, it makes me want to read it. And so that is actually helping Google to figure out that's something called pogo sticking, right? Where you, I'm sure everyone's done this, where you go to Google, you type in a search term, you click the first result, you go to that page, you're like, this sucks. You hit the back button, you come back, you hit the second result because naturally you do. And you go to that page and you're like, this sucks too. And you hit the back button and then you finally end up at the third result and that's the one you stay on. Google is tracking you doing that. Google knows that you're doing it and they're going to reward that third result because it's the ranking factor. This isn't serving the customer, which is their entire business model. And so we're going to, this third one, we should pay a little bit more attention to and they'll start to bump you up. And I think the title and the meta description really help with that. And for the people who don't automatically click the number one result and number two result, it helps those people just kind of skip those two results and go, no, this third result looks better just on the face. Yeah, not an immediate ranking factor, more of a click-through factor that should become a ranking factor over time if people stick around and like what you have to say on, on your site. Yep. Are you, you know, for a 3,500 word post, are you doing anything else on page? Like I've heard of people adding like a table of contents at the top to kind of give it some structure. No, (laughs) let them come to your site, let them learn and make them a fan of yours. Get them to stick around and to realize that what you have to say is very important and your writing is very good and your, and your site structure is really good. And I think that you'll keep people around longer and you'll end up ranking better. So I've I've never used the table of contents piece of it because I'd focus on this idea of like a waterfall effect, or I've heard that called the slippery slope effect, where you make the headline compelling, you make the first sentence compelling to make them want to read the second sentence, to make them want to read the third sentence, and so on and so forth. By the time they're done, they've read this entire post and they're like, this guy or this girl, whoever owns this site is a genius, and I'm going to give them my email address and I'm going to read more stuff that they have to say. Yeah. Is there a time on site metric that you're shooting for or like a bounce rate that's like a red flag for you? Bounce rate, I don't really pay attention to. For that, I look at the idea that's kind of that Wikipedia rabbit hole situation where, so I'll I'll go into that a little bit because it does serve two purposes. One, it will lower your bounce rate, meaning if somebody reads your page and they immediately leave or not immediately leave, but leave after just reading one post, you end up having a higher bounce rate than if someone reads your post and ends up clicking some links and goes into more pages. So I do really, I try, it's very difficult to do this, especially when you're just starting out and you only have maybe two or three pieces of content on your website, all of those being incredibly great, right? Of course. But (laughs) the idea that you internally link, so you have a good web of 
let's say someone's reading my article about brew kettles and I also have a post about the length of boil time. And so I may want to interlink those two articles together because they're relevant. And as someone's reading, they see, oh, there's another article that I'm also interested in. And they open that up in a new tab and they wait till they're finished that reading that one. And then they go to the next one. Or if you read a lot of news websites or any, any other website that's bigger than most of the websites that we're creating, they always have some sort of recommended reading at the bottom where once you're finished a post, it's like, hey, you would also enjoy these posts and that will also lower your bounce rate. Right, right. And also help your internal linking structure, which helps Google. So Google does need your help a little bit, and at least they used to. So I won't entirely say that they need this anymore. But let's say Google's search spider bot crawls your web page. And every time it hits a link, it's kind of spidering out into those other pages and sort of indexing them faster. And so when you have those internal links and they're relevant, you're actually giving that flow to those other pages that maybe are not ranking as high. So I don't know how, if Google really needs that anymore, but it really does help the reader. If someone's reading an article on your website, it's like, look, I have other stuff that you would be interested in. You should want to serve them that. And not overlink. You don't want to take a web page and just have a link on every single sentence because then no one's going to read. People get click heavy and you want them to read, but then you want to say, look, look, if you want to get more in depth about yeast washing or yeast pitching rates or coffee or whatever it is, click this link and go to this other page on my website because I think you'll enjoy that too since you're just reading this. Yeah, that's been something I've been doing going back to so when you publish a new post, it's easy to link to something that you wrote a year ago that's relevant. Right. What I've been trying to be more conscious about doing is going back to the older posts that might be relevant to what I just published and internal linking to those, both to send you know, traffic to those new pages from other pages that might already be getting traffic. But yeah, to build that, that to build that web, that interlink web for Google. Sure. If you think about that too, if we're talking about doing super epic content and maybe you don't have a lot of posts on your website, right? You just have like 10 really good posts. It makes it much easier to do that sort of webbing, right? But when you're just starting out and you're like, I'm going to write a post, six posts a day, it's like, it, that gets harder and harder. And one of the terms that I mentioned in the course that I always that kind of made up myself, which is this ABO philosophy of always be optimizing. Just because you wrote a post doesn't mean your job is done. You need to go back into those posts and do some better internal linking. You need to update the content itself. You need to add some on-page SEO things. And if you do that, you're going to be on top of the game and you're going to be ahead of all your competitors. And not only that, if you have less content to deal with and they're all really great pieces, it makes that part of the job much easier. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You know the little like answer boxes that show up at the top of Google for certain searches? Yes. Do you have to add something to your site to be eligible for that? Or like, how are they generating those? Numbers. So <laughs> a few of my articles have gotten in there and I'm like, ooh, it's, that's a, it's a nice little bump. It sucks for some people who do write really good content, but maybe don't number their stuff. You just like list, like, what do you mean by numbers? Just like list posts? Yeah. So if you go to any of those, you'll see sometimes they're lists. You'll see sometimes they're just answers. From what I understand, there's really no way to control that from your end. There's no special code that Google wants you to add on your website so that they have an easier time finding that. That's sort of their part of their machine learning thing. But I've noticed that a lot of my posts have ranked or have had those answer boxes because of numbers that exist in the post. So, And this doesn't have to be like a list. You know how you can make an ordered list or an unordered list where you can, I guess, like kind of like bullets, right? Right. You don't have to do it that way. I've had success where I would... So you have your H1 tag as your title, and then you're reading the content, and then you have your H2 tag, and it says maybe it's a the number one dot and then whatever your title is, right? And then you have the number two. It's like your BuzzFeed style listicles. And I've noticed that whether it's a bulleted list or a numbered list or a list using H2 tags, Google ends up finding those and sort of condensing them into this answer box. Okay. Fair enough. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining me. Moneylab.co slash SEO. You can check out his course. Obviously, he knows what he's talking about. I've been working my way through it as well, and I've definitely got some homework to do. And it makes sense, for, at least for me, it makes sense to invest in this stuff because two-thirds of the site traffic comes from Google, and I don't pay very much attention to it. It's kind of like that 80-20 thing where, look, if this is what's driving results, like it doesn't make sense to try to optimize that a little bit. So Matt, appreciate you joining me. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. My number one tip for Side Hustle Nation is focus more on writing content and less on promotion. 
put all of your effort, if you're going to spend six months on a post, spend five and a half of those months writing it, making it the best thing you've ever seen on the internet, anyone has ever seen. And then the other two weeks of those six months, adding it to a few Facebook groups, promoting it here and there to your email list or whatever. And you will see massive results much faster than doing it in reverse, spending 20% of your time writing an article and 80% of your time going out and promoting the crap out of it. And everyone just gets mad at you for self-promotion. <laughs> Fair enough. It's very similar to Matt's uh, 2014 advice. Spend 90% of your time on content, 10% of your time on marketing. And very similar to Abraham Lincoln's supposed advice. Hey, if you give me six hours to chop down that tree, I'm going to spend the first five sharpening the saw. So Matt, again, moneylab.co slash SEO. Check him out over there. Appreciate you joining me. We'll catch up with you soon. Cool. Thank you so much. This edition of the Side Hustle Show is brought to you by FreshBooks.com. And I've got a phone-in testimonial for you this week from Andy McCabe, who runs a consulting business helping people with their insurance claims at ClaimsDelegates.com. FreshBooks really delivered. I've been a paying member since 2012. It's really become an integral part of everything that I do. All my invoices go out via FreshBooks. All my payments come in via FreshBooks. I like the payment options. You can do PayPal, you can do Stripe, bank, check. It makes it really easy to get invoices paid. I like the Zapier and Streak integrations. I've got uh, several integrations set up with Zapier, and this one just makes it so much nicer to start a job in my Streak box and automatically creates a FreshBooks job that I can start logging time to, which is amazing. Very, very happy with FreshBooks. Keep hustling, y'all. Well, there you have it. Visit freshbooks.com slash side hustle to start your 30-day free trial today. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle to try FreshBooks completely free for 30 days. All right, my top takeaways from this call with Matt. Number one is don't write blind. Write about what people want to know. I can't tell you. It's kind of embarrassing, actually. Like how many hundreds of blog posts I've written with zero attention paid to keyword research. Now, I don't want to call all of that time spent uh, a waste or a failure because, of course, you know, I was practicing my craft and learning WordPress and all that good stuff. But I definitely could have been more effective with that time. But especially if you have limited you know, hours to work on your business, you want to make sure you're putting those hours to good, smart, strategic, effective use, not just creating content for the sake of creating content. Think of each article or video or episode you create as a little mini asset or micro business on its own. How is it going to stand alone? How is it going to drive its own traffic? How does it serve your overall business? That was takeaway number one, don't write blind. Number two is to use what's already out there to build your content. Sure, you're, you're still going to be creating your own unique content, but you can use what's already at the top of the search results as a guide. This is the stuff Google already thinks is the best, so there's no need to totally reinvent the wheel. And you can think of content creation as an investment, like you're spending time or money or both, to create these little minions you send out into the world to do your bidding, which to me is really exciting stuff, and it can last a really long time. Some of the stuff I wrote years ago, even before switching the blog over to Side Hustle Nation, it still ranks on the first page of Google and brings in traffic, and that was you know stuff I wrote six, seven years ago. Takeaway number three is to create the best resource and then trust the process. This may have been the most exciting part, kind of the diminished need to go out and hustle for backlinks. It can be super tedious, super annoying, this kind of very time-consuming process. But Matt's argument is Google is getting better and better at sniffing out what's truly the best resource and relying less on the strength of a site's uh, or a page's backlink profile in their algorithm. So what he's saying is create the best thing out there, don't stress about building links, and you're going to rank anyways. And by virtue of being the best, I think you're naturally going to attract links and make that position more defensible. Awesome stuff. Again, you can check out Matt at moneylab.co and be sure to download the free PDF highlight reel with all of Matt's top tips from this episode at sidehustlenation.com slash G. While you're there, you find links to all the resources mentioned and Matt's portfolio of sites as well. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show, where you'll meet a guy who's built a pretty cool side hustle in the world of, call it inflatable real estate. I'll see you then. Hustle on. And actually, I'm going to play you out this week with probably the greatest song ever written, a Matt Giovannisi original. Enjoy.
that online hustle. All American, David O. Russell. Brain, I work that muscle. Sprout, you know that Russell. I'ma bring the fight all day and night. I'm hungry for the tussle. I'm on the road to success. Every day, don't even have to get dressed. I work from home. I, I'm never stressed. Logging into WordPress. Yet, yeah, I'm obsessed. I'm so fine. Got talent coming out my spine. I'm on time. Got a meeting with my mastermind. I'm number one on Google. Nobody can off me. I'm smoother than the butter in my bulletproof coffee. Hashtag hustle. Hashtag hustle. Hashtag hustle. Hashtag hustle. So you know it's magnetic I check my PayPal account So I know that you read it I code my website myself So it's got that aesthetic Download my podcast So I know that I said it You build it habits And I can't stop These blog posts my cash crop Search rankings I got top spot Just Skype me And we'll talk shop If you need another minute to look I'll save you some time Just download my ebook My hustle's super bad I'll make love in it I call an Uber ride Some productive shit Everything I can You know I'm crushing it. I'll find a thousand words and then I hit submit. You know I ain't got nothing to prove. I got nothing to lose besides traffic and some page views. I got stacks on stacks of life hacks. Pay quarterly tax. Ain't no time to relax. I got a hashtag hustle. 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 When I bring my laptop on the plane. When I buy another stupid domain When I gas up my online gravy train Even though you know my startup is lean Oh, you're so dramatic Yeah, my life's dramatic And I know this what you're thinking And you're wishing that you had it No, my sign ain't static Yeah, it's automatic I need my hustle fixed Cause I'm a hustle addict My four-hour body don't sleep I'm unique and I only work a four-hour work week My four-hour body don't sleep